I want to real quick look at the Word of God, and of course, that is always where we go. The Word of God is our uh, hope. It is the light of what Jesus gave us. Uh, it is the revelation uh, that opens up all the promises for God in us. On Friday, we celebrated Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified, and um, in this great book that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, um, 1 Corinthians, uh, we opened up in chapter 1 on Friday, and we looked at how we need to see the cross. And the question was, is the cross of Jesus, are we making it power in our life, or are we making it folly? Do we see it as foolishness, or do we even reflect it as foolishness, or do we embrace it and begin to incorporated into our life as the power of God unto salvation. Well, that was the opening of the book, and today we're going to come to the closing of the book of Corinthians, although there's one chapter after this, but we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because this message of the gospel has two bookends. There is the cross, but there is the resurrection, and they cannot be separated in any way, and not one is greater than the other, for they both feed upon each other, and they are the fullness of the reason why we believe. And so today, I really want to encourage you uh, to embrace this, that our faith must not be in vain. Our faith must not just be something we speak or we, we say as a label for ourselves, or we claim to be or a philosophy that we uh, uh, think about in our minds but you see it is when we begin to embrace the cross and the resurrection and those two come together to be a foundation out of which everything we do is motivated and when we do that our faith is not in vain so we're going to go through and and this is not going to be anything special but we're just going to read through first corinthians chapter 15 and we'll point out some, some things that I just want you to let it sink in. But the Word of God speaks for itself. And so as we read through this, let the Word of God begin to confront us. And that's the thing. We need to be confronted. Um, so many times we avoid that. That's why some people don't want to come to church because they don't want to be confronted. And yet, here is our prayer. God, confront me. Because if we're never confronted, if we never offer ourselves up to conviction... We can never grow and be stronger and become champions. That is like an athlete who says, I'm going to do it all myself, but God, uh, coach, don't, don't ever come and tell me what I did wrong. Don't, don't get in my face. And, and How many know that that would be a very sorry athlete? For the greatest ones that make it to the Hall of Fame, the one, they are the ones that were willing to be confronted and take that and work on it and work on it and grow. And this is what we need to come before Jesus as we let the word of God. It says the word of God is a sword that pierces, that opens up what's within us. So let's get into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's let these words confront us. Let's let them shine a light in us and, and, and bring us to that place that we can grow in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, 
unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We're going to stop right there. This is the basic the basic gospel that we need to stop. And you might say, well, we know this. This is the base, But we need to come back to basics. Paul said, unless you believe in vain, you need to come back to this message, which I always preached to you. And he said, this is all I preach. It's not about how moral you can be. It's not about how good a person you are. You need to understand that we all sit upon the gospel of the fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried in the grave, and rose again. There is nothing else that saves us. Now what does that mean? It means that we need someone to die for us. When he says according to the scriptures, the scriptures tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what? We may know, act like we're good people and, and, and compare ourselves to others and so therefore we make ourselves feel like we're good people because I'm not as bad as that person. And I don't do the things that person does. And yet the Bible says it doesn't matter what other people do. You know that in your heart, you are self-centered. You are living for yourself. We are greedy, hateful. You can put whatever description you want in there. Lazy. Okay, all of these things. We are imperfect people. We are broken. We are not worthy of the God of perfection. And yet... He sent himself to pay the price for us. Jesus, God himself, came and died to cover our sins and to bring us back to God. And, and we're going to talk about what is a sin. Sin is not necessarily that action that you take. But sin is simply being separated from God. You see, you can be a good person and be separated from God. It's kind of like, um, you, know, you know, if you are dying of heart disease, you're not a bad person, but you're still going to die. You see, it's not based on, on this. And so many times when we deal with God, we base ourselves on, on these type of things. And God's saying, it's not about whether you're a good person. Good, I'm glad for you, you're a good person, but you are still separated from God. And Jesus died and covered us with his blood to bring us back into relationship with God. And, and so that death, we must accept that. We must repent. We must acknowledge that we need him. You see, until we acknowledge that we need him, you are living in your own confidence. And when you live in your own confidence, well, I've, I've believed in him, and I've said a prayer, and I've done this, it says you are believing in vain. To not believe in vain, it is, a, it is an acknowledgement that we need him, that his sacrifice was something that we enter into every day of our life. But not only that, but that he was buried. In other words, he truly died. He didn't just faint. He didn't just go into a coma. And then he recovered, because many people will say that. But that he truly died and was buried. And the Romans knew how to tell when someone was dead. They were experts in death. They were experts in crucifixion. There is no doubt he was buried uh, for our sins. But then he rose again. And the rising again is what brings us to life. Just as the cross brings us to our knees of acknowledgement that I am nothing, that I cannot live on my own, that I must live in you, 
the resurrection lifts us up from our knees and says, now you have the life of Christ in you. Now you are to live. Now you are to begin to follow him. Remember, Jesus put it this way. He, he, he combined this statement into his words. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. See, a lot of times uh, we say the, the, the prayer, God forgive me. We pick up our cross. We try and die to those things. But we never do the last thing that Jesus said, and follow me. And begin to live for me. Begin to live this. This is what the resurrection did. You see, the cross forgave us, but the resurrection equips us and empowers us and gives us a purpose for life. So let's go on. It says in verse 15, 5, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Now he's talking about when he was writing this. And he was writing this as a letter that was circulating, that everyone was hearing this. Um, uh, it, this was a public uh, acknowledgement, although some of them that saw him were, are, have now fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all of the other apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles. I am unworthy to be called an apostle because I even persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace toward me was not in vain. You notice this repetition of this theme. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. We want to take a moment because he says that this resurrection, this resurrection is not just something that was a myth. It was not just a, a story that, that someone made up to start a church. We're talking this was eyewitness account, that it was circulated. And I'm telling you, the Romans at that time did not want this uh, to be uh, 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 continued. The Jews definitely did not want this. If this was, had been a false uh, uh, accusation or story. Let me tell you, uh, we would have even historical facts of Jewish accounts writing the same letters of saying, look at we've seen the body. He is dead. They don't believe these people. They're telling you lies. But no, there are no contradictions to this. This was an eyewitness that many people saw Jesus alive. He truly rose from the dead. So we cannot fall back on this idea that this is just a false story we know that even uh, there were historians that write about this time uh, Josephus among many others and there are none that write any accounts that there was any other stories contradicting all of the eyewitness accounts that saw Jesus alive in fact we see this this is a, another proof that there was a man who was absolutely fed up that these people would come against our Jewish teaching that we have had for generations that God passed down himself through Moses and through uh, all the fathers that came before. And now these people are blaspheming God 
by claiming this new person to be God. And yet this person, we knew him as Saul, who was killing people who were supposedly spreading this false rumor. Even he who was so passionate for the word of God. He was passionate for the law of God. And yet, Jesus appeared to him. Now this is how we know that this is more than just a story. For someone who is zealous for the word of God to come and say, I myself have seen Jesus, then you know this was not just a story. We need to understand that Paul says, I myself have seen him with my own eyes. He is alive today. And because of that, notice this, my faith is not in vain. Now, why did he say his faith was not in vain? Because Jesus was alive and he said, because Jesus is alive, I am going to work harder than anyone else. You see, Jesus being alive is not time to just have a little party. Woohoo! Jesus is alive. And now I'm going to go live for my life because, man, don't make me change my lifestyle. Come on. No, if Jesus is alive, there's something better that we need to begin to start living for. And Paul says, if I just was to see Jesus alive and says, wow, that's a neat trick. Wow, Jesus. And that does not change me, then your faith is in vain. Because if it does not change us, if it does not bring us to the place where I have a new purpose in life and I am going to live for the risen God, then we need to ask ourselves, is my faith in vain? Is it just a sham? Is it just a cover-up to make me feel good so that I can go on living the way I want to live? 1 Corinthians verse 12, let's go on. It says, now if, Christ is is, if, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom if he did not raise Christ, the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, again, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And that means those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ, that means those that have died believing in Christ, then they're perished. They have no hope. If in Christ we have hope only for this life, we are people to be most pitied what does that mean he's saying if jesus is risen from the dead here's something else that that means then that means that there is a resurrection if jesus is risen for dead here's the thing then you're going to rise from the dead too someday the fact that jesus rose means we all will raise rise and the people that want to say no when you die you just you just kind of disappear um, here's the thing, they're saying, well, then if that was true, if people died and just kind of disappeared and, and then that's it, that's life is over, then even Jesus could not have risen from the dead. But Jesus did rise from the dead, so therefore that it 
thinking is wrong. And here's the thing that comes to us. Then we better not fall on this fact, well, when I die, it'll just be over. When Jesus rose from the dead, it's a great thing, but it's a bad thing. Because that means that you will rise and you will answer for your life. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead means we need to, again, not think of life in vain. But our faith is even more important because one day you are going to rise from the dead. One day. Now that can be either a great thought or it can be a very scary thought. So here's the thing. Then don't make your faith in vain then let's begin to live life on purpose. Every day counts. You might say, well, maybe, you know, after I get to do this, I'll give God my life at this point. Are you guaranteed you're going to make it there? We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We need to begin to take every day as valuable, as purposeful. And it says that if we only live for Christ for today, if it's just about being good in this life, you, you are most pitiful. Because see, what we are living for, what we are preparing for, what we are living for now is for the resurrection. Because that's when real life starts. You see, we don't serve Christ just so that we'll have a good life now. We serve Christ because there's a better life coming. And I'm preparing for it. And I'm making way for it. And I am journeying towards that. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, we all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ was the first, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ will rise. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign, this is talking about Jesus, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepting the person who put things under subjection. In other words, the Father put everything under Jesus. So that does not put the Father under Jesus because he's the one that gave everything to Jesus. And when all things are subjected to Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all and in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, Paul is not agreeing with it. He's saying even people who don't believe in God, they do crazy things like baptizing themselves for the dead. Paul is not saying we should do that. He's just using as an example. If they do that, then there's something in them that they realize that there is something after death. And why are we in danger every hour? I protest, protest brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I even fight with beasts in Ephesus? 
if the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. So Paul says, we are going to rise from the dead, but here's the thing. God is going to put every living thing under the subjection of Jesus. And we will not enter into the glorious inheritance that God has created for us until all those who have rejected Jesus, it says, are destroyed and subjected and put away. For God is going to be above all and in all. And so he says, so therefore, wake up and stop sinning. It says, if we are going to rise from the dead, and if you have the hope of resurrection, then we need to wake up and stop living a life of sin. And again, we look back at sin. What does that mean? You might say, well, I'm not living a life of sin. I'm a good person. Sin means separated from God. Stop living a life as if God is not your Lord and your King. If you live your life to yourself, you make your own decisions, I'm going to make my own way in life, then that is what the very definition of sin is. Remember, from the Garden of Eden, when they took the fruit, the fruit was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here is the ultimate definition of sin. I'll decide what's right and wrong. It's the knowledge of good and evil. I, will, I know what's good and, good and bad, God. Okay, God, I got this. We need to stop living that way. Are we living that way? I'm going to live my life. God, don't tell me. I'm not doing anything bad, so God, get off my back. God says, that's not the point. The fact that you are choosing your own way, that you are, you are rejecting, you will not kneel before God. I will not direct my life by God's way. I will not bring God into my everyday life. I will not change my schedule for God. I will not change how I spend my money for God. I will not change uh, who I spend my time with for God then you are the enemy of Christ that at some point God is going to put under the feet of Christ and you will miss out on the resurrection to the inheritance of God. This is what sin is. See, this is why it's so easy for people to feel good about themselves because they, they have the wrong understanding of sin. And they're able to say, well, I'm not a sinner. I don't do those bad things. I don't murder and I don't cheat and I don't kill and steal. And... But that's not sin. Those things are part of sin because when you're living away from God, you end up doing those things. And Jesus said, you probably do them anyway. You don't do it outward, but you do it in your heart. And he said, that's just as bad. Remember, he said, if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. If you hate your brother inside your heart and you just curse him, you fool. It says you have committed murder. So we are still guilty. And so Paul is saying, if this resurrection is such a real thing, then it needs to motivate us that I want to walk in relationship with God. And here's the great thing. Being that sin is not behavior, then you don't have to worry about messing up all the time. All we have to do is live for God. Because sin is not necessarily messing up. There's going to be times that I might do something, but if immediate when I recognize, I say, God, I know that was not, God, forgive me. I want to walk and I want to please you. Then see, we are covered. See, this is the great thing 
in understanding what sin is, it takes all the pressure off of us. But it does ask the question, are we living for God? And Paul says, if your faith is not in vain, wake up and start living right. But then it comes to this. So once God takes care of those that reject him, that will not serve him. Now God will not make you serve him. There will simply be a consequence of your own choice. But then it says in verse 35, some ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is going to be, but it is a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body that he has chosen, and to each kind of seed has its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is some kind for humans, others for animals, others for birds, and others for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, and the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another there is one, of, one for the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and another for the glory of the stars. The star differs from star to star in glory. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body. If there is any natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have become the image of the man of dust, we all look like Adam, we all have grown into that, we also will bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brother, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Here's a great promise. You see, when we are risen from the dead, they ask, and he goes on this long thing of, of there's different types of bodies, and when you plant a seed, what grows doesn't look like the seed anymore, right? It's, it's much different. This body that we live in this is just a seed, but God has something much greater for us if we will believe in Christ, if we will live in his glory. We will be raised to a new body. Just as Jesus, when he was raised, he had a new glorified body. Uh, now, uh, we don't need to get caught up in all the differences, but even though it looked like a regular body, we know that he ate, and it will be a physical body, um, but it will be a glorified body. We know that he was able to go from place to place in a blink of an eye. We know that they were, they were uh, gathered together in the house, and in an instant, he appeared right there with them. And then, on another occasion, he walked right through the wall. And so there were possibilities. These bodies are going to be glorified, heavenly bodies, but yet physical. And so this is another reason that we glory in God, that as we see the resurrection that Christ gave, he has given us the promise, 
And, and for many of us, how many are tired of these old bodies? I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of all the aches and, and the, 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 the getting old. We're all getting old. I know all these young people cannot believe us, but just wait. You're going to be there. Because I sat there when I was young and thought the same thing. But this is the glory of our God that he was resurrected. And so we have the promise of a resurrected body. Yes, we were born of the man of dust. We are of Adam. But thank God that we will be born of Jesus and have the body of Jesus. And so there's only speculation. There's all different things that 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 could mean. Uh, But all I know is one thing. God said that he will wipe away all the tears. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow. Um, We will have a glorious new body, physical body on a real earth to enjoy eternity with. And that is why he says in verse 15, and behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and shall be, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, this old broken body, must Put on the imperishable. In other words, the unbreakable, the, the glorious body. And this mortal body will put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on the immortality, then will come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is what we look forward to. That there's coming a day when the trumpet is going to sound and those that are, have died that I think are rejoicing with us today and we have many that, that we know, friends and families and loved ones, that they have gone before us. But I'm going to tell you, we're not going to go before them to heaven because when that trumpet sounds, they are going to be raised, resurrected. They are alive in the presence of God now, but they will be resurrected in their new body first. And we who remain will be transformed, it says, in a twinkling of an eye. We will be changed. So these old bodies, in a sense, will immediately die and we will immediately put on the new body, and thus we will be reunited forever. Are you looking forward to that? That is why we give glory because of the resurrection of Jesus. But here's the thing. If that's glorious to you, if you look forward to that, here's the question. Then don't let your faith be in vain. Then don't be continuing to live a life separated from God. Don't have your church life, and then your other life. We need to begin to say, God, everything in my life is going to be yours because who knows when that trumpet's going to sound. Why take the chance of, of, of doing your own thing and maybe missing out on the greatest event in history? This is why he closes with this verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here's his encouragement today. If Jesus is alive 
And we know he is because people saw him. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses. It is a historical fact. We can try and ignore it. We can, we can uh, put it under the blankets. But he was risen, which means you will be risen. So therefore, let's be steadfast. Let, let's be immovable. Let's, in other words, commit yourself. I'm sorry, it takes discipline, yes. And you might have to miss out on some things of this world. But the few things that you miss out on the things of this world, God says this, I'll make it up to you. Do you trust me? This is what he told his own disciples. His own disciples said, we've left everything. We don't have the fun like all the rest of our family. They're doing all their stuff, but we've even left our family. Jesus said, don't worry, I will make it up to you. Many of us, you're living like you don't believe Jesus will make it up to you, and so therefore you refuse to miss out on things of this world. Well, the problem with that is when you refuse to accept Jesus' promise, then you will miss out. You just won't miss out on the things of the world. I hope you really enjoyed them because you will miss out on the things of eternity. So he says, always, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what that means? Live for the Lord. Live for him. And there will be joy in your heart. And God will give you purpose and joy and hope and, and, and a future. Be abounding because when you live for God, this is what he says. And here's what we talked about all day long. When you live for God, you will know that your labor is not in vain. You see, you want your faith not to be in vain. You want the resurrection of Christ not to be in vain. Then let's begin to live for him. You don't have to worry. It's not with fear, am I going to mess up? Am I going to? No, if you're living for him, if you love him, and if you just live in relationship with God, there is no fear because he, he is like that good coach. When we mess up, that's okay. That's a learning experience. He will come in and there's no condemnation. He doesn't condemn us for not being perfect people, but he will come in and walk with us and train us and, and transform us and change us and encourage us. Because that's what a good dad does. But let's put all of our heart into it. Let's be like Paul and say, I'm going to work harder than anyone else to honor my dad. I want everyone that looks at my life to see my father. When they see what I do, I want them to know that I do that because Jesus is risen. And someday I will rise with him. And when you do that, you will know that your labor is not in vain. Because God will make up for everything that you think you missed out on. And you probably didn't miss out on what you thought you missed out on. It won't be in vain. Because when God gives you what he has for you, you will say, oh my gosh, if I would have known this is what it's like, I wouldn't have done any of that other stuff. So people, let's begin to realize that God is a good God, that his promises are not in vain. And so let's live our life in light of the resurrection. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And because of that, let's live our life not in vain, but in the glory of Christ. Bow your hearts with me.